When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Adjust Your Tracking and all the Playlist podcasts are sponsored by Mubi, a curated online cinema streaming a selection of exceptional, independent, classic, and award-winning films from around the globe. Mubi's film experts handpicked every single film they show. Each day they present a new gem and you have one month to watch it. Visit mubi.com slash the playlist to start a special 30-day free trial. And currently on highlight on movie right now, uh, a few very exciting uh, things worth mentioning. One is guest curator Nicholas Winding Refn. Uh, big, uh, we're, we're big fans of this director on this podcast. He is curating a, a couple films. Uh, it's Volume One: Regional Renegades. And in classic Refn uh, fashion, he is uh, unearthing a few older uh, B-movie titles. And one that's on movie right now is called The Nest of the Cuckoo Birds. I don't know anything about it, but I will see it just based on Refn's uh, recommendation. And uh, another one worth mentioning is the Lars von Trier movie, The Five Obstructions, which just came on there. It's a von Trier movie I have not seen and would love to catch up with. So those are just a few of the choices that are available on movie right now. So uh, if, if any of those are of interest to you, if you like this podcast, you should give movie a shot. I think they're a great service and we appreciate their support of this podcast and the others on our playlist network. Now on to the show. We, we don't have to worry about nothing. Cause we got the fire And we're burning one hell of a something They They're gonna see us from outer space Yeah, I'm really sorry outer about Bod It's nothing serious No, it is Like we're the stars of the human race Human race Where did you two go? When the lights started out They don't know what they heard Strike the match, playing loud Giving love how did his father die? A surgeon never kills a patient. An anesthesiologist can kill a patient, but a surgeon never can. Don't be scared, Mom. You'll see. You won't be able to move either. To get used to it. Where is she? What did you do to her? I don't understand why I should have to pay the price. Why my children should have to pay the price. It's the only thing I can think of as close to justice. We can light it up, 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 so they can put it out, out, out. Hello and welcome to Adjust Your Tracking. I'm Eric McClanahan. I'm Joe Von Oppen. Hey, Joe, because we're on top of things so much, we're talking about the snowman today, is that right? <laughs> oh, you you can just talk at me about it. I didn't see it. Um, <laughs> I told you I did. did. You di- You didn't see it, correct? I didn't, but now I have seen it, though. That's the sad cycle of my life in the last couple of weeks. You Okay, so you missed the advanced <laughs> screening of it, but you paid for it? <laughs> Almost. I Yes, I missed a free press screening for it because I heard it was terrible. Mm-hmm. 
And then a week later, because and I then heard you're like it, how terrible like, <laughs> it, you've heard how terrible and that's what piqued your interest. You you nailed it. Exactly. You I'm either that transparent or you just know me that well. Exactly. You you know, the cult, the siren call of a bad movie that you feel like you have to see. And uh, yeah, a friend at a theater that I uh, in town here um, was gracious enough to <clears throat> comp me a ticket. So I did not have to pay. OK, for the non pleasure of this movie. Um, so. You know, so just, was uh, it transcendently bad or no. there was you because you said non pleasure, which, you know, like sometimes there's a glee in watching something kind of turn into like incomprehensible mess. You yeah. know, I was hoping for that, but it's actually it's uh, it's the worst kind of bad movie. It's, depress- it's a bummer. It's depressing yeah. and it's embarrassing for everybody involved. Um, right at the top is the director whom I love. Uh, yeah. Tomas Alfredson, who made Let the Right One In and Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy. I mean, um, there's already reports of how this movie got hacked to pieces in the edit room. And then also, like, he wasn't allowed to shoot all the scenes in the script or something like that. But um, Uh. I think with even the stuff that's there, I mean, the movie genuinely doesn't make sense. But the stuff that is there is pretty bad, Mm. you know, like at best. So, yeah. It's uh, it's just a depressingly bad movie, man. That uh, you know, thankfully, I mean, I don't wish any movie to do poorly because people lose jobs when these things happen. But uh, sure, but, but when when people are, we were talking about how movies get toe tagged with their box office performance like almost instantaneously, mm-hmm. and this, as it was sort of creeping towards release, the filmmaker was like, go being like, look, 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 it's not my fault. It's not even out yet. <laughs> And it was just like, it was already racking up like 8% on Rotten Tomatoes. And so Oof. it was just like, oh shit, he's trying to get ahead of what he, what he's guaranteeing is going to be awful. And so like that's, and a, a movie that sort of puzzlingly uh, awful is like, sometimes that people love that. People love to like really take a look at what went wrong. There's an, there's an entire podcast about it. You know, uh, how did this get made? Right. Um, yeah. I'm sure this is like a future candidate. Most for, definitely. You know. But it's also like when, when it's just, uh, when there's no joy to be had, when it's not like an unhinged performance or something like just doesn't match. And you're like, it, it takes on this outsider art kind of quality when it's not that. And it's just a mess mm-hmm. and it couldn't <laughs> finesse itself into anything other than a mess. It is re- pretty demoralizing. Cause like, Making movies is it's hard work, you know, mm-hmm. and like, and to see to see that hard work amount to an expensive disaster is like it's it's pretty disheartening. It's it's very disheartening for sure, and you know the movie's just gonna be forgotten in like two weeks. It'll just it'll be as though it never existed, and I'm sure yeah. Michael Fassbender and everybody else involved in the movie will be just fine with that. But um, yeah, it's it's just too bad, you know. I mean, another element is it's just part of this. Uh, this thing of like, we're just getting crammed with so many movies, a lot of which are um, exciting or interesting looking at the least, you know, some of which look really great. Uh, there's just, there's just a lot going on, but yeah. Um, you know, the snowman hasn't really made any impact critically or in the box office, but the, the, the there was a movie that was number one this weekend, but uh, not exactly, you know, 
It didn't really go down in glory. Like it didn't have big numbers or anything like that, right? No. In fact, they talked about it being like a, a sort of whimpering box office weekend. And uh, Jigsaw is the movie you're referencing, which is the latest Saw installment. Which Saw was like very uh, endemic of you know the mid mid two thousands to late two thousands, the George Bush era. So it's like the the torture era where we were aware of our kind of like villainous tendencies in the world at large and how horrible we were becoming and torture was something that just seemed to resonate you know like uh, a lot of the French <clears throat> not new wave what was it their new hor- French extreme, extreme yeah youth? I think it was technically the French new extremity but yes yeah so like a lot of the <clears throat> the sort of like raw brutality of those movies definitely resonated and it's it's hard to know like what era of uh, kind of boundary pushing horror we're in now, but it's it's mm. like pretty clear that horror has always and will continue to resonate, especially with big movies like Get Out this year, which was you know like social horror that mm. was something that would definitely like hit uh, a very urgent nerve, and then was Stephen King's It. You know, like that doing sort of like gigantic box office. Like there was, there's definitely a catharsis that's possible with horror that, like, uh, I think as we're, you know, staying in very, very turbulent times, mm. like that, that there's a truth to it that continues to resonate. But, like, I don't know, like horror, <clears throat> it's difficult just because there's so much of it. Like, it's, it's the, it has a built-in audience, you know, and like mm-hmm. that built-in audience will watch any and everything that comes on video on demand that goes like straight to whatever vending machines qualify as video stores anymore. <laughs> um, and, or in the theater, like sometimes those numbers are questionable and they're not as strong as others, but there, like there does always seem to be an audience for it. Mm-hmm. But like, what's the stuff that really like resonates, that really gets under people's skin, that be like that hits that nerve, that offers that kind of like, if not catharsis, just like resonates on that level where it's like, oh, now we're really dealing with something raw and urgent. And uh, we're going to talk today about a movie that yeah, I think <laughs> wanders into horror at times, oh, but yeah. definitely couldn't qualify to a horror, um, like, I don't know, nerd's uh, definition <laughs> of a, you know, right, a you, traditional you, horror movie. But um, Killing of a Sacred Deer, the new film by Yorgos Lanthamos. Did I do that right? Lanthamos, yes. Lanthamos. <clears throat> That's good. It feels like there's an extra syllable in there. Makes it more <laughs> epic. But um, it's it, this this film, his new film, his follow up to The Lobster, which was like his his crossover movie, <laughs> which seems <laughs> seems berserk just because like that movie is like a, despite its kind of like whimsical charms, is still like a grimy confrontational film at times we should we should just stop and note that for a second like really think about that because it's true that was a that was a breakout movie for him and it it was a hit the lobster was a hit dude so like for all our uh you know justified i'd say complaining for like why don't people go to these movies that we often champion that we really go for that was one that did you know it really uh and when we that played at my because of us necessarily but oh i think it was 
It was all AYT. Come on, Joe. <laughs> we seeped into the cultural uh, hive mind for sure. It's well, true. That movie was a hit, played at my theater for most of the summer last year, and um, but yet had a lot of walkouts. And I think that's maybe a place to enter into the sort of Lanthimos discussion, or at least with Killing of a Sacred Deer, because The Lobster was like... Um, not a crowd pleaser, but accessible in a way that I don't think any of his other movies have been. And, yeah. he's, and he's had success. I mean, Dogtooth, his, uh, his prior Greek film, uh, or Made in Greece, uh, where he's from, like that was a, you know, nominated for Best Foreign Language Film that year. It got attention in the way that a lot of foreign films do not in this country. So he's had success, but The Lobster is just a crazy example of, like, at least for us, one of the good ones cracking through you know making an impact actually yeah for sure and it like it has that that pitch that's like the the crazy curveball pitch where people are like what's it about what the how did they pull this off and they like the the premise basically is that we it's in a kind of not dystopian because i think that word is so you know overused because we're we're living in one but um (laughs) like a a kind of alternate reality where people are forced to like, you know, link up and you have to couple up and people are, uh, have to go to resorts in order to increase the likelihood of coupling up. And if you don't, you will then be transformed into an animal of your choosing. And so it's just like that premise, like just like that log line, people are like, how, how, wait, how did they make this premise work? Cause it's so like high concept and it's done with such kind of just deadpanness that yeah. like it makes everything work. And there's such rich detail and such like great character nuance. And it like it and uh, his new film killing of a sacred deer, like they both have such detail that it feels like it could exist just as successfully in novel form. Mm. Uh, just because there's so many, like so many storylines, so many threads, so many, just like beautiful sections where the, like you can just imagine the prose describing it happening, mm. you know? And yes. it's also like, it's, it's easier to imagine it as a reader than seeing it convincingly conveyed on screen with anybody else. But because he is so in control and so comfortable in like, insane tones yeah. like he's able to pull off what shouldn't be pull offable basically <laughs> <laughs> um, and so like this new film it's like not as not nearly as zany of a premise right but, it doesn't uh, have that hook right not really no. anyway. but we enter uh colin farrell is a surgeon who is a father of two with his wife played by nicole kidman and he has a strange relationship with uh like a boy in his like mid-teens and it's not really clear what his relationship with the kid is at first. It's a little off-putting, um, a little just like loaded, and you're, you don't know why. And then you find out why later, and the movie starts to creep into this weird uh, just revenge territory where he's responsible for a tragedy in the kid's life, and the kid starts to turn the tables on him in this like really unnervingly surrealistic way. Mm. And... Um, That's all pretty much made clear in the trailer, which was just incredibly dread-inducing, like, since it's come out. 
That trailer well, scales not, scares all our old audience that comes to our movies. <laughs> yeah, it's really like suffocating. Like, you're just, oh my god, this feels awful. This feels like this year compact into two minutes, um, which is nice because like this year feels like an unending, just like free fall into tragedy. We're almost through it, dude. We're almost through it. <laughs> Having it summed up in two minutes is kind of it's merciful. But anyway, what's not clear in the trailer is how funny the movie is how brutally darkly comedic the movie is and like it's an uncomfortable like a a really grimly uncomfortable comedy Mm -hmm. um but like that it's there and like there is a, a sense of humor and a sense of absurdism that like is really kind of like it, it kind of keeps you off balance the whole time because it's just like there's there's true kind of calculated cold Kubrickian horror at work. Yes. And then like a humor that's like, huh, who, who, who's at, who's in charge of this? Like who's at the helm of this experience? And like, I think that is very valuable to like we've talked about on recent episodes where it's like if you're being confronted with a reality that is constantly confrontational and then you don't want the same in your art or entertainment because you're just spent. Like, I feel like art is the arena where you can confront the difficult and the impossible seeming and truly have a conversation with yourself, with the art, with, you know, the people you're sharing it with that is crucial, you know, and, uh, this movie was a puzzle, you know, like, and, and so, like, wondering why this is happening, how it's going to wind up, and then just, like, marveling at the beauty of the pictures of it, you yeah. know? Oh, yeah, man. The, the way this movie is shot, I mean, you already brought up the Kubrickian influence, which is uh, actually more, I think, like, you could argue that's exists, that exists in... Um, in the lobster as well, in some elements, maybe the sound yeah. cues or the the musical cues, the framing, the very precise framing. But Sacred Deer is almost like um, this is going to be misleading, but I feel like I have to say it anyway because I don't know how else to describe it. But it's like it's it's close. It's like Lanthimos doing almost like a Tarantino homage of Kubrick. It's like Killing of a Sacred Deer plays out like The Shining. It uses um, we've talked about this off mic. It, it, the trailer and the movie uses that like weird um atonal sinking string like yes yes like yeah it's just sickening feeling that that sound design it's very much indebted to what wendy carlos was doing with kubrick at that time but also the the film is shot you know just uh take the scenes of danny and the shining riding his trike around the hotel and just replace them in this movie with colin farrell having really mundane conversations down like really uh bleakly lit hospital corridors that are just endless right and um i also loved uh this is definitely kubrick influence but it feels like it goes further is like the way um the actors are so often dwarfed in the frame um they Uh. use they use this motif i think in the poster as well where colin farrell looks like a speck compared to this giant room with a high ceiling yeah like an impossibly high ceiling right right and you know right there the first time i saw that image i was like oh well that looks like the monolith from 2001 and yeah so the kubrick influence is deeply embedded in this movie but like it's not a tarantino type of thing i don't again i don't want to mislead but like he's he's operating with a certain style that's been done before because i think it just fits this material so well but it was um 
actually kind of cool and refreshing. And that felt new from him uh, because he's so he's so original as a voice, uh, not just because of these crazy concepts he comes up with, but he just sees and portrays things in a way that nobody else is doing in film. And that's pretty rare, you know, and yet to see him operate on a sort of homage uh, level was like pretty cool for me as a, as a movie lover. And, you know, I love Stanley Kubrick movies. So, I was I was all in on that, but um, yeah, man, the way this movie is shot is like that alone. I was just like pretty blown away by it. Yeah, because there's there's like a masterful, like museum like touch to a lot of Kubrick's work, mm-hmm. and there's there's something kind of I think cold and off putting about it. And so to be able to kind of the way, I mean, Kubrick is somebody that I think like the same way with like John Carpenter scores lately. It's just been like, it's referenced so like regularly that it it has like become kind of meaningless. And like there, there, there is like a sort of template of how to do it. There's an Instagram filter that says Kubrick. Just kidding. Um, (laughs) but like there might be actually, I shouldn't, I I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah. (laughs) But, um, for it still is a difficult thing to master because it is so controlled and like, for um for Lanthamos to uh to do it and then to subvert it by just like fucking with the form where it's like all right here you know what this feels like you know what this kind of like cold antiseptic look at you know uh just over overly kind of like uh postured people coming apart you know what you've you've seen that before but then like to infuse it with like absurd dialogue like (laughs) what you're talking about with like the doctors walking through these impossibly long hallways and talking about watches where you're just like what the fuck are they talking about (laughs) and um what's the what's the young man's name the Uh, the very Keegan, he was in Dunkirk as well. He was the the boy right. on yeah on the boat with Mark yeah. Rylance. Yeah, he's had a good year. <laughs> yeah, he's in One Direction, right? No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> yeah, Harry Styles. Yeah, yeah, he's not in this movie. <laughs> yeah, he's like he's he has such a bizarre, fascinatingly watchable quality. That's just like wow. This like the way he delivers like the the dialogue amongst the children in the film is like is is really like hilarious and stressful um (laughs) but yeah i wonder like there like as odd as the mixture is and as compelling and sort of new even for him as the the film feels because this feels different as much as it feels kind of closer to Dogtooth than it does to the lobster right it still is a sort of like carving out of an entirely new space for him as a filmmaker agreed um i i wonder like how has it been with like audiences how has have the walkouts been for this one there there have definitely been walkouts and i expected it especially after seeing the movie i was like okay i i I went to the (laughs) i went to the first show at our theater on opening day and um you know decent crowds like the crowds have been good the movie's doing well uh for us but it was one of those classic like the movie ends and like delayed three or four people all of a sudden decide to clap because they don't know what else to do with themselves in the moment because the movie ends in such a bleak place and you're just left to like, just, you're just left to like, Oh, good luck with the rest of your day. Figure out what just, what I just did with your head is like what Lanthimos is doing. You know, like this movie is so well directed and so well constructed, right. That it just, it, it, 
it scrambled my brain in a way. Like I was seeing the way, like the angles of the movie, the way it shot. Like I swear, I I, I came out of the theater like that's how I saw the world for a while, and uh-huh. that's pretty rare. I mean, I I I understand that might sound hyperbolic, but I'm I'm being honest. It it like I think it's so well made because he gets in your head in that way. And I guess before I trail off too much to answer your question, I mean, yeah, there have been walkouts. A, a lot of people tell me as I'm cleaning the theater for the movie, like. I hated that movie. Like it's that kind of movie where everyone wants you to know how much they hated it or loved it. Yeah. Um, so they it's feel violated by it. Like, oh yeah. Yeah. Even the people that love it are like feel violated. Um, in fact, a, a young woman passed out in the theater with like 20 minutes left in the movie yesterday. And I thought it was like, we had a drunk person in the theater. Cause that's usually what happens. <laughs> she said she thought the movie and the music like, fucked with her and she passed out and needed food and water after she was okay. But, um, I think the score in the way the movie's made, but that score in particular is reminiscent of what, um, the, uh, the guy from Daft Punk who did irreversible Thomas. Bang alter. Thank you. Yeah. Like what he was doing, right. There's like this, the, the music of the movie and just the, the, the visuals and the, the actual storyline, it's all, designed to kind of make you feel ill a little bit if you're not yeah, laughing. Yeah. yeah. I, I, I think the movie is just very powerful in that way, but um, right. yeah, it, it, you do not have a middling reaction to this movie. It's, it's like mother or it's like Lars von Trier movies in that way as well, where you're going to have a strong reaction to this movie. And yeah, I saw that. I saw that all weekend from our audience for sure. Yeah. The, there's just there is a weird queasy disorientation with this movie, not just with the subject matter, but with just like the the heightened stylization of it. Mm-hmm. That's not so showy; it calls attention to itself, but you feel it for sure. And right. uh, and yeah, it's just it's it's interesting because like he's he's becoming uh, like we talked about event filmmakers, where it's just like you know people still like as as things have become so aggressively homogenized, like there still are those filmmakers that like every time they have a new movie, there is a sense of event and momentum around their, their new ones. And as, as sort of like niche and kind of art house centric as his films still are like there, there is a sort of swelling and building momentum like about him that is just like, well, what the, what's he going to do next? Like this is like, he really, he really fucks with you. He's and in so, full control of everything he's doing. You know, when you're watching yeah. a movie and yeah, you're just like, I'm in the hands of someone who just knows what they're doing. I think. Um, yeah. So it's too bad. He's doing the new Wolverine spinoff. Just kidding. Um, <laughs> yeah. What Marvel movie will he get locked into? I, I don't think Marvel or Disney or anybody is, I mean, they might in a way to, in an attempt to be sort of hip, try to like wrangle him, but come on. Yeah. yeah that's not going to happen. <laughs> Hey folks, just wanted to jump in here real quick and mention another sponsor for this show, which is uh, our good friends at Arrow Video, which uh, as I've said before, and I will continue to say, Arrow Video is as good as the Criterion Collection. They just might not be as well known out there in, in, in all movie circles. Arrow Video has been putting out really beautiful restorations on Blu-ray of some classic genre titles and also just some that are just never I've never heard of before, but can't wait to check out. And uh, specifically for this episode, we are thankful uh, for them, their their new Blu-ray release for Reanimator, the, the 80s, uh, you know, cult classic, such a fun movie. The addition of this Blu-ray is just incredible. It's in a big, beautiful box. 
uh, really wonderful cover art, all the good geeky stuff that you like. Um, and a couple other of the gems that I've never heard of that I can't wait to see that they've unearthed uh, would be a few Italian genre films from the 60s and 70s. One is Lucio Fulci's Don't Torture a Duckling, and the other on Blu-ray is a uh, title by Sergio Martino called The Suspicious Death of a Minor. Um, I've been slowly creeping into that genre of movies and uh, looking forward to watching these. Um, so again, we, we thank Arrow Video for the support of our podcast and just for putting out great uh, you know, editions of movies that we care about. So thank you. And now back to the show. If we could just pivot to, you know, kind of horror at large, because, you know, this is the, the week of Halloween. So tomorrow is Halloween night. And, uh, so like horror, horror is in the air. And, uh, this is a year where horrors are never ending. So it's, it feels like horror sometimes with its confrontational nature feels like, uh, beside the point since we're like living in a nightmare, we can't wake up from, but um, it's still, you know, nevertheless, like, is something that, you know, like, it, it, it's it's a place where we can, like, deal in a weird way. Mm-hmm. And uh, there there was a documentary on IFC called American Nightmare, kind of about the, the 70s and 80s, like, kind of the group, the George Romero's, mm. the John Carpenter's, the David Cronenberg's, the, the, that whole school, the Toby Hoopers, um, both George and Toby, we lost this year, tragically. Um, good, good, good long lives, though. Mm. And they like, you know, their their work is all on the screen. So it's, it's there for us to kind of keep their legacy alive. Mm-hmm. But um, but that film, I remember there was a critic in it who was talking about how you know, most of modern life, we're building up these like walls and grids to deal with, to just kind of like shut reality out and, um, and just to like keep it at, at, at bay. And then like something needs to come along where we like were allowed to safely take those grids and walls away so we can reintroduce ourselves to what we're sort of numbing ourselves away from. Mm. And horror is a way for us to do that. Now, like, this is granted even when that documentary came out in the early 2000s we weren't infiltrated and oversaturated with social media to the point where it's like you feel like you have a constant exposure to horrible news and escalating mayhem so it's like <laughs> are your grids ever really up you know so it, it feels like the confrontational nature of of horror at large you know like is it's it's hard to justify sometimes sure sure but but I think that's that that's like even more important because like the more numb we become, the more we have to, you know, uh, we have to resensitize ourselves the way I think like Michael Haneke, the way Lars von Trier, when he's at his least predatory, um, <laughs> you know, like they're filmmakers who who can elicit such a drastic reaction from you that it sort of it shatters your numbness. It resensitizes you, you know, and, um, horror at its most effective does that and wakes up something in you to a truth that like is hard. Like it's hard to deal with in reality. Yeah. Yeah, no, exactly. Right. And I also, I also think, okay, at the top of the show, you, you brought up the idea of like, uh, Bush two or George W. Bush era. Like, you know, the Bush two. <laughs> Bush, Bush. Bush harder. <laughs> well, he might have bushed harder. I don't know, man. It's, it's true. Um, you know, torture, torture porn kind of came 
yeah. was popular at that time. That's something we can look back and be like, that was sort of what horror was about at that time. Right. And I don't know necessarily if we're in a very clear, um, obvious type of horror movie right now. I think part of what's being reflected of uh, this crazy time that you've you very well articulated just now is like the chaos that exists, the confusion that exists. I think what we're seeing in the horror genre at large right now is a lot of different types of horror movies. And, and there yeah. always have been, but this really feels like that chaos and that um, from that chaos, from that confusion allows a lot of people to sort of throw something against the wall and see what hits. So you get, yeah. you get get out, which is this social, you know, like a social horror movie, as you said, you get around the same time M night Shyamalan comes back and back big time with a movie like split, which I haven't seen yet, but is a horror movie from what I understand. And, and then you get, you get um, it, which is like this populist nostalgia horror and a big freaking hit as a result. And mother is arguably a horror movie and it's its own thing. Environmental right. horror and killing of a sacred deer is arguably a horror movie. Um, Happy death day is its own sort of dumb return to PG 13 horror. You know, like there's, there's a lot yeah, of, we're not sure what the vernacular is to deal with yes. this sort of contemporary ills. But I think if we could just uh, harken back to killing of the sacred deers for a second, yeah, probably we didn't linger long enough on it. But, yeah, um, I know what, I mean, the movie was obviously conceived and shot, you know, in a time before whoever's currently president. Um, <laughs> but at the same time, there is like a sense of nightmare quality, helplessness, yes. like, that I think is super appropriate and super accurate for pinpointing like how we feel right now where it's like, if you like, I don't know where you lean uh, politically, but there's certainly like a sense of like things being out of our control, like yep. the world's on fire and underwater simultaneously, things are out of our control. Yeah. And like there are circumstances in killing of a sacred deer that feel like, why like something's happening why can't anybody do anything about it and right. like that's that rings so true so painfully true that the movie like heightens into this nightmare quality that's really like uh to say it's operatic i think would make it seem more shrill than it actually is but it, it like reaches this crescendo level where you're like oh my god like this is this is unbelievably just dread inducing while still being like darkly funny you know yeah. and like and there 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 is something before we you know pivot again to a broader horror topic but like the the conclusion of the movie the one that <laughs> gives like the audience such a sense of violation there's a way that Lenthemos, uh again if, sorry if i'm mispronouncing it the way he concludes movies is yes. so like like holy shit like just like <laughs> just slamming a door in your face you're like oh my god <laughs> and like there there's a moment where i thought it was ending that yeah. would have been perfect until i saw how it really concludes which is still perfect and yes because it, it goes on i was like oh that would have been a really great place to stop um but then it like keeps going and i'm like but this is still fascinating right and i'm like and that's in the hands of somebody who like you think you have something pinpointed about them. Right. And then he throws you off balance. And like reality is so off balance right now mm -hmm. that it's just like we need the people to kind of wander far enough in front of us 
to to sort of chart a landscape, you know, for us to kind of like have uncertainty considered, you know what I mean? Like mm. to have this this unknown charted somewhat where it's like, all right, we've been pondering just how fucked up things can feel. Like, let's let's take some time to meditate on that. And like I think that is what this movie does well. That's what the great horror that like still resonates does well. Mm. You know, like just marching into this like this this darkness that hasn't been charted before. You know, and like, uh, like losing Toby Hooper this year, and like mm. having had the 40th anniversary of Texas Chainsaw Massacre come out like a couple years ago, like that movie, there's there's just such uh like speaking of crescendos, oh, like man, that, I remember like seeing that in the theater, seeing the restoration, the 4K restoration of it, mm-hmm. and how that that movie just like how it escalates and escalates and reaches this like noise concert level of like peak <laughs> once the act, it actually stops and the movie concludes and it goes to black to the credits <laughs> you could hear the whole room of people which like thankfully it was like a crowded room i saw it in yeah you could hear them all just like ga- just sigh like oh oh my god and like imagine that imagine like hmm. being you know a young person in the early 70s and like having just like if you're not at war or having having been to war there's a war that you could potentially get pulled into that people are just like just every everyone you know could potentially be murdered there's like uh, just there's just instability in your own country there's like violence and mayhem there's there's racial inequality there's like sexual inequality there's just like all kinds of just mayhem and people at each other and here's this like thing that like is is so boiled down this story of just raw survivalism that's so primal and then like you you just go through it and you come out the other end and you're like you're you're like almost new again because you've been through this like shattering experience you know and then you're left on the back end of a truck covered in blood screaming yeah. and laughing maniacally and yeah. you've woken up from the nightmare <laughs> yeah that's one of the best endings of all time i mean jesus yeah. i'm all about hyperbole right now but that it's such a great ending to that movie oh yeah i mean if if all movies could end in a main character laugh crying covered in blood it would be just so appropriate to life while a huge person dances with a chainsaw <laughs> uh-huh. I, I started watching texas chainsaw massacre 2 oh yeah, yeah. also a, direct, you a, haven't a, seen it have you i have actually uh oh. we we reviewed it on over under movies uh last year i believe ryan cool. oliver is a big fan of that movie Okay, the prologue, uh, the main character says she climbed out of a window in hell. And I was like, well, if nothing else, that is a great image. <laughs> it is. Of a window in hell. Yeah. I, I, I like, I mean, not to go too long on it, but the sequel is at least different, you know, like yes. completely different. And Dennis yeah, it's Hopper. the Gremlins 2 of Texas Chainsaw Massacre movies. <laughs> That's a perfect analogy. That would make an interesting double feature. Um, <laughs> do the first ones together and then the sequels later. <laughs> Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's it's just such a different movie. I respect that, but um it's yeah, I just I'm too oddly in love with the original to to be able to go with something so different, you know. But uh I'm glad yeah, it exists, think, you know. Huh, yeah. It's it's it it charted a new path. Like that was just a 
I think he was aware that like you can't do the first one ever again. And even like the remakes, like I, I actually heard uh, a nerd m- murmur conversation. Nerd murmurs. It's my favorite <laughs> podcast. <laughs> Uh, at a movie theater, actually before Killing the Sacred Deer, there was a discussion about uh, behind me about the new Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Oh, it's the worst. Oh, it's the worst since the second remake of the reboot. And, uh, you know, like and there and there was like arguments like oh, I like the Michael Bay reboot who Ugh. Michael Bay didn't direct it. For, right. What, right. But he did. He what? He, he did not. But it's got his greasy fingerprints all over it. Sure. It's I mean, his cologne. I think his hands are clean. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> Is uh, hand sanitizer. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I think that there was like also that need kind of in the, the torture era of the 2000s to return to that, you know, like level of, of kind of like raw volatility that the 70s movies captured. Mm-hmm. But it was just like it's a different era. And like the the more sort of like, you know, as as grisly and jaundiced as a lot of those torture movies feel now there there at least was something kind of honest about their uh assessment of where we were at the time right and i think that's all you can do and like that's why i'm excited for you know movies that like we haven't really developed the the artistic vernacular to deal with where we're at but like the people who are who are like you said like throwing stuff at the wall to see what sticks like that's that's what you have to do you have to experiment you have to tinker in the unknown basically and like that's where horror is kind of like at its best yeah well and it's it's still one of those genres it'll always be this way where you can make it cheap and make it good cheap yeah and get a huge return and that will always i think that will encourage this level of experimentation we're talking about it will yeah um it will reward uh, moviegoers that want something challenging, that want something different. But hey, you if you also want that populist nostalgic hit that It gave you, well, good, good for you. You're going to get more It movies. You're going to get more Stephen King adaptations. And I'm glad that that can all exist in the same realm. I mean, another... Yeah. Another area or two others that come to mind is the amount of remakes that we're still getting of, of classic horror movies. I mean, freaking Suspiria is getting a remake and uh, Halloween is getting another redo with David Gordon Green behind it. I mean, I couldn't be less interested in the Halloween remake except that he's making it. So now I am. It's like there, there's even that that's exciting. And then um, I, stuff we've touched on in the past that I think is kind of a cool uh, mm. emergence in I guess it's the horror genre is these um, all encompassing uh, almost book like uh, like uh, long series where they uh, documentaries about uh, horror franchises. So you had like Never Sleep Again, the the Mm -hmm. Nightmare on Elm Street one. You had Crystal Lake. What is it? Crystal Lake Memories. Crystal Lake Memories. Yeah. Yeah. The Friday the 13th one. And I mean, I would love to see a Halloween one. I would love to see Hellraiser. I'd love to see Child's Play. Like, oh, there is a Hellraiser one. Oh, is there? Yeah. Is it the same uh, filmmakers behind those other ones, or no? It's it's yeah. something something else and something longer, I believe. Wow, see that I I like that, and that's the kind of um, yeah, forgive it's me a for using Leviathan. It. The story of like we need another Leviathan <laughs> idol movie. Let's just hey, we're Joe. It's adding to the confusion and the chaos. Yep, Why not? That's true. So, put it all in there. Spin it around. See what happens. Uh, I think that's an exciting development that comes in this age that can really exist in and thrive in the VOD and streaming area where like, I'll, I love to be at home and watch a five hour series about Friday the 13th. I think that sounds awesome. So 
um, that we're, we're being rewarded. Uh, if you like horror movies, it's, it's, it is an exciting time and it might continue to be an exciting and challenging and scary time for these movies. But, um, I'm all for it when we're, you know, being rewarded, uh, for those of us that like going to the movies, you know, for, for, for this kind of genre, it's, it's very exciting. So, I mean, there's a lot to take in, right? There's a lot of chaos, a lot of confusion, but um, I'm okay with that right now. And in, at least in, when it comes to horror movies. Yeah. I think that there's, it's a, it's a very, like it can seem to have a lot of rules, but like, I think right. the, the most memorable at times, like bends those rules. And uh, yeah, I think, I think a new, a new language is on the way. <clears throat> and uh, you're right that like it, in this sort of binge culture of like watching entire series in a day and a half, like that the, the sort of long form documentaries about horror franchises is like such a great entry point for people to sort of like have a a whole mythology and a whole legacy to be like, all right, like, like now I can go and watch all of these movies after I have a sense of their kind of impact, you know, if you didn't already, you know, cause there's so much content to get through, you know, that like having, having a concise or if four hours is concise. Is that concise? I'm not <laughs> I, sure anymore. In, in the binge era. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's such a bizarre time where it's like, you know, people will, will sign themselves over to 12 hours of television, but they're like, how long is that YouTube video minute and a half? I don't know if I have the time, (laughs) like the duality of like, uh, yeah, just like the, the contradictions are pretty berserk nowadays. Most definitely. Most definitely, man. Um, well, I feel like we've, we've talked about the, the genre in a pretty, you know, pretty good way. But like, I, I feel like before we go, like, We'd be, I'd be, I'd feel bad if I didn't just throw a few other things about the killing of a sacred deer out there, uh, because for, and I'd love to know anything else you want to throw out there, but just sort of quick hit thoughts, things I I liked about it. Cause, um, I, 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 I know you liked the movie too, but I, I mean, this is, this is one of my favorite movies of the year. Uh, I can't wait to see it again. Um, so I'm a big fan. Everybody but- kind of knew this was going to be your jam, though. Like, <laughs> this is true. This sort of falls in line with you're like you're a very you're a, you're a decent Midwestern person who has this propensity for very mean things, and I think that that's a that that's your own sort of beautiful duality, you know, where it's like. Oh, Eric's such a good guy. He's so decent, but Jesus Christ, he recommends really hard to watch movies. <laughs> I've I've had people tell me that to my face. Mm-hmm. Very mean things. That's the sequel to uh, Very Bad Things. Yeah, uh, I hope not. I hope not either. I don't, yeah, that's that that needs to just you know what I mean. I I, I would love a good Christian Slater you know revival, but oh, uh, yeah, yeah, <coughs> agree. Piven too. Piven, sure, sure. Well, I. You're right. This freaking movie was right in my wheelhouse and it's not a surprise that I liked it as much as I did, but um just other thoughts are, you know, we talked about the visual style, love the sound design, the music, the the direction. I think it's such a focused, strongly made movie, um but also the cast. I think this movie mm-hmm. the the way they're all able to able to create this sort of otherworldly left of center not our real world, but kind of looks like our real world thing that Lanthimos is so good at doing. Like they are all 
everybody from the like small parts to the big parts, like Colin Farrell, Nicole Kidman, they're the, the actors that play their children. And then Barry Keegan, um, I would say along with Robert Pattinson for good time, like two of my favorite performances of this year, like so just so not just unexpected, you know, like I've not quite seen a villain portrayed or acted in this way, the way that Barry uh, Keegan plays him in the killing of a sacred deer. And um, I just, I just have to give it up. Like it's just such an amazing performance. I mean, he is, he's creepy in a way that you can almost like relate to because we've met people that are sort of socially inept in the way that he is, Mm -hmm. but there's more to it than that. He's not just a weird kid. He's not just a psycho. There's just like so much going on. I think there's a lot of layers in his performance, but also I think Colin Farrell brings a lot to this movie and finds new territory than he did in the lobster. And um, Nicole Kidman also really helps with the Kubrick feel of the movie because I felt like this is what's that. Cause she worked with them. Right. She, it, this movie at times I thought I was watching outtakes from eyes wide shut scenes, like the mm-hmm. bedroom domesticity, like upper, uh, upper middle class, maybe higher, like, like rich lifestyle that they sort of portray in this movie in their house and stuff. Like it's all there. It's, it's all really there. And I, I just think talk about another actor that's had a great year. Like Nicole Kidman is just on fire and, uh, her taste is impeccable. So, um, and oh, I shouldn't forget Alicia Silverstone shows up in this movie yeah. and is amazing in one scene. Um, yeah. Uh, so yeah, there's just a lot. There's a lot that I like, and I just uh, I felt like I had to put that stuff out there. So. Yeah. No, everybody knew you were going to like it. Everybody <laughs> knew you liked it while we were talking about it. Um, but yeah, there was there was like a weird offness quality to the the performances that like I uh, there's a Werner Herzog film called Heart of Glass, where he, the urban legend is that he hypnotized all of the performers in it. Right. So then they have like a kind of stilted quality to their like delivery. Mm. And like that, I I thought about that movie, um, or at least it's legend, like as I was watching it, because there is something just sort of off that lends itself to the nightmare quality of the movie where it's like, there's, there's a dread that's not being discussed, but it's being talked around in these dialogue sequences. Mm-hmm. There is just something kind of like the watching a posturing where it's like Colin Farrell is trying his best to be composed and postured and like well-mannered as a doctor should be. And then he'll quake and like something will spill out and he'll say something like, absurdly horrific to his own son that's like weirdly hilarious and yeah i think that like uh you know i mean english probably being a second language to yorgos like there there that sense of translation is almost might be like attributable to the 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 strange quality but like i love his writing just yeah it's like it's so strong and so like other that like it's I I I'm really excited to see what he works on next. Yeah, he's he's Marvel. already uh, whatever Marvel. <laughs> he he's already finished or finished shooting his next movie, which is another one that A two four I believe will put out. So they they certainly are in the good sign. Yeah, it's it a is sign. a good sign, and it's actually gonna sounds at least on the surface like a huge departure. It's a period piece about uh, Queen Anne. I think she was a Scottish queen. I think. Mm. Yeah, so it's okay. going to he's going down that 
quote unquote biopic route. But um, from what I understand, he's focusing on a uh, a love triangle between three women at the time, one of which is mm-hmm. Queen Anne. Um, the okay. cast, so, right. You can see like, hey, if anybody's going to shake up what we at least right now are calling a biopic, like it will be this guy. But um, sure. I get your trepidation because it makes me nervous, but he he's yeah. Yeah. I, I start to the new Paul Thomas Anderson trailer came out recently mm-hmm. uh, for phantom thread. And I was like, uh, I guess if there's anybody that could make this interesting, it's him. But oh, come geez. on. You don't, you don't think that looks great. No, I'm saying it does look great, but mm-hmm. like, or it looks good enough, but like, I, I wish that Paul Thomas Anderson wanted to make a contemporary movie that wasn't set in some bygone era that, you know, obsessed over how people's sideburns looked. Um, <laughs> He's only done that once, right? Or twice, I guess. Hard Eight and Punch Drunk Love. Although Punch Drunk uh, Love doesn't necessarily exist Mag- in the real world. Magnolia? Oh, you're right. You're right. Okay, so he's done that like half the time, basically. Yeah. And like... Quentin Tarantino doesn't really bother with modern day. I guess he never did because he existed in like, uh, you know, homage land, which was divorced from time. But like, I don't know. I guess I just I want, uh, you know, because we're talking about uncertain times, like I'd like, you know, of, of course we can. You need to reflect in order to know where we are and where we're headed. Mm. I just hate period pieces. Oh, wow. <laughs> Such a blanket statement. Well, we'll see what happens when Phantom Thread comes out then. Hey, hyperbole. I could make blanket statements every now and again. <laughs> That's fair Captain enough. Hyperbole. It's the best thing I've ever seen. <laughs> this week? <laughs> I hate period. Yeah, the, our headlines should just be Joe hates period pieces. Period. <laughs> just totally. Yeah, put. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I'll just bury the real lead of this podcast. You're right. Yeah. Just put yeah, you on blast. Let's clickbait. <laughs> All right. Well, with that, what do you say? Should we should we wrap this one up? Yeah. Uh, well, before we do real quick, I just want to announce our next hold up uh, segment, which will either be coming. It depends when our episode for The Square comes out. We're going to have to figure that off, Mike. Uh, but it's coming up. We're going to review The Square, the new Ruben Oslin film uh, very soon. And to connect with that, I'm wanting to look back at uh, David O. Russell's I would say, at least in my memory of it and my appreciation of it, a very misunderstood uh, movie, I Heart Huckabees. I think only based on what I know about The Square, because I haven't seen it yet, um, I just feel like both the movies are these, at least comedies in general, but also like sort of art house leaning comedies and uh, maybe even potentially mean-spirited comedies. I don't know. You've seen both the movies, so you could maybe comment on whether or not they're really connected, but like they just, it felt like a good one to revisit to connect with that movie. So, um, so that one's coming up, but I don't know. What do you think about that? Um, I think that there's, there's a distinct European sensibility to the square that uh, is probably diametrically opposed to the, yeah. there's a, there's a giddiness to um, I heard Huckabee's that even if you think some of it's mean mm. there, there is a kind of like whimsical quality to it. It's true. Um, it's true. That like, it, it'll be interesting to contrast, I think. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, I don't even know. Do you, how how are your memories of Huckabee's? Are you a fan of that movie at all, or do you, do you want to save it, or oh, do, you, do, you, do no, you want to know now? No, no, save. I like the tease. Save. <laughs> yeah. All right. So yeah, that that one will be coming up. Um, as I said, either on the next episode or the one after, coming up soon. 
Um, so if you want to watch and keep up with us, uh, make sure to do that. So, all right. Newly problematic I Heart Huckabees. This is true. Yep. We're going to have to talk about David O. Russell. I mean, and I thought of this before that story came out yesterday as we record this. So, um, yeah, that I think we'll have to acknowledge things like this. I don't want it to become the sole focus of what we discuss, but, you know, we can't. We can't deny these things that are coming out about it's true. problematic figures in Hollywood right now. So um, we, will, we will dive in, be prepared. And um, yeah, with that, let's wrap up episode 156 of Adjust Your Tracking. So just chill to the next episode. You can find us at theplaylist.net and you can click on the podcast tab and get linked to all our other shows on the network as well as all our archived shows there. Um, you can email us at adjustyourtracking at gmail.com. How about uh, the social media realm, Joe? Where can people find us? Uh, at Adjust Your Track on Twitter. Uh, Adjust Your Tracking on Facebook. We're not the film, but you should watch that as well. We are the podcast. So just uh, like that. We'll keep you updated on when episodes are coming out. True, true. Very good. <clears throat> and if you do that, we'd be very appreciative. We appreciate if you listen to us. But uh, – I can't be as thankful to anybody else as I am when I get to talk with you, Joe. So thank you. Thanks, Eric.